0: Well, once again, I want to say welcome to you, those of you who are here this morning, and welcome to our radio listeners as well who are listening. Well, I want to tell you about Susie and her husband. You laugh each time because you know what's coming, right? Well, Susie's husband had been slipping in and out of a coma for several months, but Nonetheless, every day she was by his side at the hospital. She was there when all of a sudden one day he woke up and saw that she was sitting by his bedside. So she came and she she stood close to his bed and he said, you know what, Susie? She says, what's that, dear? He says, you have been with me all this time. She says, oh, yes. She says, he said, you were there when I broke my arm. You were right there. Yeah, you were there when I lost my job and you were right by my side. You were there when I got robbed. You were there when I fell off the ladder. You have been there through it all. She says, yes. He says, you know what? She said, what's that, dear? He said, I think you're bad luck. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) Well, last week, we talked about Jonah in the story of Jonah chapter 1. And in chapter 1, we saw that God had directed Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach against its wickedness. However, Jonah disobeyed and he boarded a ship going in the opposite direction. Well, on that ship, the sailors became concerned because of the great storm that was brewing. And Jonah explained that God was basically bringing judgment upon him. So the sailors threw him into the sea where he was swallowed by an enormous fish. And we see that at the end of chapter 1 in verse 17, it says, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And today, we will go on to chapter two and three. Let us pray. Father, indeed, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you for the truth that is contained in the scriptures. And we pray, Father, that as we read and as we go through the story of Jonah further, that, Lord, you would open our eyes to the truth, that you would help to lead us and guide us, and that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, O oh God. And may you help us as we are obedient in responding and hopefully changing in different areas. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, as I said, today we'll be focused on chapter 2 and part of chapter 3 and chapter 3 as well, actually. Well, after Jonah had been swallowed by this enormous fish, the scripture tells us in verse 1 of chapter 2 that from the inside of the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Now, I don't know about you, but you know, there are many different places that I've prayed from, right? And I'm sure there's many different places that you've prayed from as well. However, I think Jonah is alone on this one. When the scriptures say, from inside the belly of the fish, he prayed. You know, it was in a fish that Jonah prayed. He was swallowed and he prayed to God. And what does that show us? It shows us that we can pray from anywhere at any time, whether we are at work, at school, whether we're walking or driving, obviously our eyes are open, wherever we are, we can pray. And you know that and I know that, right? It's something that we've heard, it's something that we know. But you know, when we talk about the privilege of praying, do you understand that it truly is a privilege? That it truly is a privilege for us to be able to have direct access to God, to be able to approach his throne boldly, and to speak to him, to present our needs before him. You see, if you understand the Old Testament, you understand that the people did not have direct access to God. That every time they needed to go to God for something, whether it was to atone for their sins or to give thanks or to present an offering, it had to go through a priest. That each time the people needed, they needed to go and line up at the temple, bring their sacrifice, tell the priest what they needed and then the priest was the one who interceded on their behalf. But now because Jesus has finished it all, Jesus gave us direct access access to God, we have the privilege of coming before God ourselves. We have the privilege of going to him, presenting our needs, and talking to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, wherever we are. We don't have to be at church. We don't have to be at home. We don't have to be in a specific place. But we can do it anywhere at any time. Do you realize how amazing that is, that we have access to God we don't have to be anywhere specific. Jonah was in the belly of a fish. But we can go to God and present our needs. God just wants to hear from us. God just wants us to speak to him. The scripture tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17... Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Pray continually. Let your prayers be the way that you talk to your family and friends, the way that you would call up your best friend throughout the day and tell them what's happening. Do that with God. Constant communion with God is what He wants. Also, in in another scripture in Jeremiah thirty-three verse three, He says, "Call to Me, and I will answer you, and I will tell you great and." Hidden things that you have not known. You see, it's only when we have that communion with God, it's only when we come to Him and we have that relationship with Him that He starts to reveal things to us that we never knew, that we start to have revelations, that we start to understand things in ways, that He starts to speak to us and we get answers. But we can only do that if we have that relationship with Him. Are you praying without ceasing? Are you having a regular prayer life? Because for a Christian, it is so important that we have that relationship with God. And we can only get to know God if we speak to him and if he allows us to speak to us. Well, Jonah prayed in the fish, and in chapter two, verses two to nine, it records the prayer that he prayed. And it says this. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. "'From the depths of the grave I called for help, "'and you listened to my cry. "'You hurled me into the deep, "'into the very heart of the seas, "'and the current swirled about me. "'All your waves and breakers swept over me. "'I said I have been banished from your sight, "'yet I will look again toward your holy temple.'" The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed woods wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath bared me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. This was his prayer in the belly of the fish. Now, I want you to notice something. This was a beautiful prayer that he prayed, but the words that he prayed weren't actually all his. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, if we compare his prayer, Jonah's prayer, to many of the Psalms that were written, I want you to notice this. In verse 2, he says, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Well, in Psalm 118, verse 5, it says, In my anguish, I cried to the Lord, and he answered by setting me free. Then in another verse, in, in the second part of verse 2, he says, From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Well, in Psalm 30, verse 3, it says, Oh, Lord, you brought me up from the grave. You spared me from going down in Into the pit. Well, he goes on to say, "Yet I will look again toward your holy temple." In Psalm one thirty-eight, verse two says, "I will bow down toward your holy temple." And then in verse five, he says, "The engulfing waters threaten me; the deep surrounded me." And Psalm one, in Psalm eighty-eight, excuse me, verse seventeen, he says, "All day long they surround me like a flood; they have completely engulfed me." You see, in verse 8, it also says those who cling to worthless idols turns away from God's love for them. And then in Psalm 31, verse 6, it says, I hate those who cling to worthless idols. I trust in the Lord. And then finally, in verse 9, he says, I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And in Psalm 37, verse 39, it says, The salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. He is their stronghold in time of trouble. So what was Jonah doing here? What was he doing here? We see his prayer compared to many of those who wrote the Psalms and their prayers to the Lord. What Jonah was doing was using these prayers, was using the Psalms and scripture to encourage himself. That was what he was praying. You see, many people say, I don't know how to pray properly. I don't know what to say. I don't know how I should approach God or whatnot. When we look at the Holy Scriptures, that's prayer all by itself. And all we need to do is to use it. Many times when I pray, I pray the scriptures. I remind myself of what God's word says. I pray what the psalmist prays. I pray what they cry out and say. And that's what God wants us to do as well. We don't have to find new words, but we can use what's already there. You see, in order for us to use the word of God, we need to know the word of God in order for us to understand, we need to study. We need to read. We need to meditate on it day and night. We need to hide it in our heart, so that we will not sin against him. You see, the word of God is our defense. The word of God is what we use to encourage ourselves, and that's point two. The word of God is our defense and encouragement in times of need, and Jonah was in time of need, and he was using the word of God to encourage himself. He was using the word of God to help him to get through this time. You see, in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, it tells us that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That means that all Scripture is directly from God, and we need to use it in order to bring it to our defense. You see, when Jesus was in the wilderness and he was being tempted by the devil, what did he use as his defense? He used the word of God. You see, in our lives, there are so many things that we go through there are so many things that we experience and what can we use in our defense what can we use to encourage ourselves we can use other people's advice but it's the word of god that truly will encourage us and in order for us to remind ourselves of it we need to know it for ourselves first many of you grew up in a time where you were encouraged to memorize scripture. Today should be no different. No matter how old we are, we should be in the habit of memorizing scripture. We should be in the habit of constantly reminding ourselves, reading again and again what God's word says to us. When we know the scripture, we can use it. When we know what God's word says, we can use it. When we are grieving, we can remind ourselves of what God's word says. He says, though sorrow may endure, So weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. When we know what God's word says, when we're struggling with our health, we can be reminded he forgives all my sins and he heals all my diseases. And we can claim that in his name. When we're going through a difficult time and we feel tempted, we can remind ourselves of what God says when he says, resist the devil and he will flee. We can remind ourselves of that. When we feel a alone, we can remind ourselves, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. We can remind ourselves. When we feel worthless, we remind ourselves of what the psalmist says. When he says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. When we feel like we don't know how things are going to work out and we're not sure, we can remind ourselves to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding. You see, God's word is our encouragement. God's word is what we should use, and we need to constantly bring it to mind. We need to constantly remind ourselves, but we can only do that if we know it. Do you know the word of God? Are you studying the word of God? Are you meditating on it day and night? Because that's what we should. You know, many times I find myself and and, and my parents know this, if, if I'm driving in the car with them or whatnot, a song comes on the radio, you know, I'm singing every single word, right? They know. I look like a crazy person sometimes. but. You know, don't judge. I'm sure you do too. So, you know, and I'm singing these songs and whatnot, and, and and they'll sometimes say, "How how do you know all of these words?" And you know, because I'm constantly driving throughout the week and visiting hospitals and whatnot, I'm in my car a lot, and so I listen to music. I listen to to different songs, and so because it's constantly being played. I can memorize it, right? I know the words, I know what's going to happen, I know all those parts, but it reminds me that when I meditate on something over and over and over and constantly filling my mind with it, I begin to know it. And that's what we should be doing with the word of God. Constantly filling our mind. Thinking on things that are good, that are worthy, that are beautiful. Thinking upon those things. And when we constantly dwell on those things, when we constantly bring those things to mind, we will memorize it and we will know it to be able to use it. Whatever situation you may find yourself in, it's important that we remind ourselves of what God's word says about it. Amen? Amen. Well, Jonah was in the belly of the fish. And in chapter 2, verse 10, it says, And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah Onto dry land. The Lord commanded the fish and he vomited Jonah onto dry land. You know, even in that verse alone, it's amazing to see the power and authority that God has over all things. The power and authority that he commanded this fish to swallow him and he swallowed him, didn't kill him. He commanded this fish to vomit him out and he did. And when we look into God's word, we see how God has full, ultimate control and power over everything everything, that he has control over the wind and the waves, that he spoke creation into being, that he spoke and things happened, that he spoke and people were healed, that he commanded demons to flee and they fled, that he did all of these things because of the power and the authority that he has, and we ourselves should be encouraged by that truth, that the God that we serve has ultimate power and ability over all things. Things. Amen. Amen. Well, in chapter 3, it goes on to say, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message I give you. So God was giving him a second chance to do that which he ran away from. In verse 3 says, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. God gave Jonah a second chance, and Jonah decided that he wasn't going to run away from God anymore, but he was going to do exactly what God had asked him to do. And so he goes to Nineveh, and he goes in, and on the first day, he starts to proclaim. He starts to tell people right off the bat that there's only 40 more days left, and after that, you will be ruined, you will be destroyed, destruction will come your way. Now, you know. I don't know if you've seen people standing on the street corner or, you know, at different places and and they're telling you, you know, repent or you're going to go to hell. Well, the bottom line is that they're speaking truth, but how they do it isn't always as effective. You know what I'm saying? It isn't always as effective. So I feel if I wasn't a Christian and you just came up to me and told me that, you know, I'm going to go to hell... I probably wouldn't respond to you very well, right? so in a way, you know it's how you present that message as well. However, we see Jonah just goes and he goes at it straight to the bottom line. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. You have 40 days to repent. Otherwise, you will completely be wiped out. God sent him to bring correction to these people. It was a serious thing, but God used Jonah in order to bring correction to them because he knew what was going to happen. And you see, the Lord might choose to use us to bring correction or rebuke to a person or group of people as well. The Lord might use us as his instruments to do the same thing that Jonah did. It may not be in the same way, but it may be in a different way. What does it mean to rebuke someone? Well, to rebuke someone, according to the dictionary, means to express sharp disapproval or criticism of someone because of their behavior or actions. Basically what it means is to bring correction to them. It means to correct them for the wrongdoing that they have been done. Now obviously as Christians, we want to do this in a loving and gentle way, But nonetheless, if Lord asks us to do this, then we must do it. If the Lord puts it on our heart to do it, then we must. An example of that is Nathan bringing rebuke to David for his sin with Bathsheba. God put it in Nathan's heart to speak to David about what he had done and to help him to realize the sin that he had committed. And sometimes God will use us in a way to do that. Now, how how could you do that? How, How would God use that? Well, As a parent, God often uses parents to bring rebuke and correction to your children, right? If your children are going down the wrong path, if they're hanging out with wrong friends, if they're doing things that they shouldn't be doing, then you have that responsibility of correcting them. You have that responsibility of leading them in the right direction. Now, obviously, there's only so much that you can do as a parent, but you should do all that you can to help them to be on the right track. Well, if you find out that your schoolmate has cheated on their exam or final paper, then it's important that you bring about correction, that you let them know that that's not right, that you let them know that they shouldn't be doing that, that you let them know that you don't want any part of that because you know that it's wrong. If your family member isn't looking for a job and they're expecting for you to support them and to to take care of them, then you need to correct them and help them to realize they need to go get a job. They need to start looking and to start paying bills and to do things for themselves. If your coworker is using company time to do their own personal things, updating their own personal information and doing their own personal things, then you may need to correct them and say, that's not what you're getting paid to do, and help bring about uh, correction in that way. If you find out that a family member or friend is having an affair or cheating on their spouse, then that may be something that you need to correct them about and speak to them about and help them to know that there needs to be a change. If you find out that someone has been spreading lies about you or lies about other people, then that may be a way that you need to correct them and lovingly help them to stop doing that. Whatever the situation may be, God may choose to use you or me to bring about correction to someone. And we need to do that in a loving and gentle way. And one of the things can be very difficult because we understand that we are only human, that you and I mess up all the time. And sometimes I feel, who am I to tell someone else their sins when I know that I am guilty of things as well? Well, it's important that we continue to keep our lives clean. It's important that we continue to ask the Lord to forgive us and to help us. And it's important that we deal with our own things as well. Amen? And so when we bring rebuke or correction to someone, we need to do it in a loving and gentle way. And so God used Jonah to bring about this correction and rebuke to Nineveh and to help them to know that they were going to be destroyed if they did not repent of their ways. So in verse 5, it goes on to say, It goes on to read The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles do not let any man or beast, herd or flock taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let men and beasts be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone carry... Um, call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. You see, the king from the very top, leadership, took this seriously. He took what Jonah was saying seriously, that God was going to destroy their city. That was the bottom line. That because of their evilness, because of their idolatry, because of their sin God was going to destroy them. And he knew that this was a serious, serious issue. And so the king himself, it says, took off his royal robe and he put on sackcloth. When we talk about sackcloth, it's a sign of mourning and grieving and submission to God. And many times when someone was grieving after the loss of a loved one, they would put dust on their head and, and, and cover themselves with it and put on sackcloth, a sign of reverence to God. And not only did the king do this, but he decreed that everyone in the whole city would do this. That there would be a fast, that no one was to eat anything, but all they were to do was to pray and fast, to call on God, to repent of their sins, and to do this. They took that warning seriously, and they acted upon it in order to change their ways. And you see, us too, we must take the warnings that God gives us seriously when we need to change. We need to take those warnings seriously and change. Oftentimes we'll go through life and there will be things that happen, roadblocks that come up, people who try to steer us differently. And sometimes those are warnings from God to keep us from doing the things that he knows will cause us to fall away. do us, Keep us from doing the things that he knows will call, cause us to stumble and to fall. And we must take those warnings seriously. You see, if God is for us, who can be against us? And we know that if God has something in store for us, then we will not have to fight, we will not have to beg for it, we will not have to make any shady deals, but God will open up that door so we can walk straight in. He will make that possible. And so if God is closing those doors, then maybe that's a sign that that's not for us. If God is causing us to lose sleep overnight because of a situation, then maybe that situation isn't where we need to be heading. You see, if God wants us to do something, he will make a way for us to do it. If God is opening up a door for us, then we will know that it's God's will for us because we won't have to beg, we won't have to plead, we won't have to do anything that is not of God in order to get that which he has for us. And so when God gives us warnings, we need to take those seriously and we need to constantly look at our lives, look at our situation and see if there's a change that needs to be made. Well, it goes on in verse 9 to say, who knows may this is the king speaking. God may very well relent with compassion, turn from his fierce anger, so that we will not perish. And then in verse ten, it says, "When God saw that they what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, He had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction He had threatened." You see, God warned the people. He gave them warning to say, "If you do not repent of your sins, then this is what's going." To happen. If you do not change your ways, then this is what's going to happen. And he used Jonah as his instrument to speak to the people. And because they took those warnings seriously, because they changed their ways and they repented, God did not bring upon them the destruction that he had promised. The destruction that he said he will send. God showed them compassion. God showed them mercy. God showed them grace. And because of that we see the character of God. He is a merciful and compassionate God. He is a good, good God who loves. And we too must learn to show compassion to other people even if they don't deserve it. You see, the Ninevites did not deserve mercy and compassion. They deserved to be destroyed. They deserved to just face the destruction God had for them, but yet God showed them compassion. And as Christians and as people in general, who are we to hold other people to the same standard? Who are we to say you cannot be forgiven even though we know that God has forgiven us? We need to show mercy and compassion. You see, God sent them a warning. God helped them to see that a change needed to be made in the same way he does that over and over. And he tells us in his scriptures, he tells us what will happen if we do not repent, if we do not trust in him, if we do not change our ways. And he gives us those warnings and he gives us compassion. You see, mercy and compassion and grace are some of the best gifts that we will ever experience. They're things that God does not have to give us, but he does. They're things that we should not deserve or we should not experience, but we do because of who he is. And we must learn to show that to other people as well. Compassion means feeling a deep sympathy and soul sorrow for another person who was stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. It's having that sympathy for what they're going through and helping them towards it, helping them get through it. You see, the Bible gives us a picture of a beautiful, loving God. In Psalm 103, verses 8 to 13, it says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse Amen, amen. This is the word of God. It tells us who he is. The fact that God does not treat us as our sins deserve. God does not... pay us according to our iniquities, I don't know about you, but that causes me to get excited that God has taken away my sin, that God has taken away my guilt and my shame, and it says that as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. You see, when God forgives, he forgets. When God forgives us, he casts it away as far out of sight and out of mind as possible. And he does not hold it against us. Of course, as humans, it's hard for us. We can forgive, but we can't really forget but we're not required to forget. We're, con- we're required to forgive, to show mercy and compassion. Because as the Lord has forgiven us, we also should forgive others as well. We cannot expect to be forgiven and not forgive our brothers and sisters. God has given us so much more than we will ever be able to repay him for. We will never be able to repay God for the mercy and compassion that he has shown us but we should extend it to other people as well. Jonah warned the people. They repented and God showed them compassion and we too should do it. From the life of Jonah and from chapters two and three, we learn we can pray from anywhere and at any time. The word of God is our defense and encouragement in our times of need. The Lord might choose to use us to bring rebuke or correction to a person or group of people. We must take the warnings God gives us seriously when we need to change. And finally, we should be a person who shows compassion to others, even if they don't deserve it. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father, indeed, we thank you for the many, many lessons that we have learned and for the many more that we haven't even touched on. And God, we know that It can sometimes be difficult for us to love people the way that you love them but we pray that lord you would soften our hearts that you would help us oh god to to change things that need to be changed even within ourselves that you would seek you first that you would help us sorry to seek you first and to know your will for our lives that you would help us to trust you god in the midst of all that we go through and we pray father that we would hide your word in our hearts so that we could use it at our defense to encourage ourselves and to help us oh lord And we pray and we thank you, God, for the forgiveness that you have extended to us, for the mercy and compassionate that you have shown us time and time again. And Lord, although we failed you so many times, we thank you, God, for your grace that is greater than all of our sin. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to be people who show compassion, people who are loving, people who are forgiving, people who extend the same even if others don't deserve it. And we pray, God, that you would help us. And so, Lord, continue to draw close to your people and may you minister to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.